It's Friday, April 8th, 2022, and this is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm Adam B. Levine here again with Adrian Blust for your Daily News Roundup. On today's short talking Bitcoin, some thoughts about the new Quadriga CX scandal documentary, the latest headlines and more. And just a reminder that Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Bitcoin took a beating this week, down around 6% as macroeconomic fears resurfaced, putting pressure on risk assets, including BTC. The minutes of the Federal Reserve's March meeting released Wednesday revealed the policymakers say they'll trim the almost $9 trillion portfolio by up to $95 billion each month. If they follow through, the Fed would need four years to shrink the balance sheet to the pre-pandemic level and around eight years to end the extraordinary monetary policy experiment that we're all living through. Go ahead and mark me down in the skeptic column that the Fed can meet that pace for even one year, much less four. Many Fed officials said that they were prepared to raise interest rates in half percentage point increments in upcoming meetings in hopes they can control inflation. A far steeper pace of monetary tightening than the usual quarter point hikes of the modern era, but as we told you yesterday, nowhere near what Federal Reserve Chairman Paul Volcker had to do to tame comparable inflation in the 1980s. This all puts the focus squarely on the U.S. Consumer Price Index, or CPI, for March, due to release on Tuesday of next week. The data is expected to show that the official cost of living in the world's largest economy rose to an annualized 8.3% in March versus 7.9% in February, according to Daily FX. One narrative to watch is that an extra hawkish campaign by the Fed is already priced in, and that a high consumer price index figure could be a non-event. Another narrative, though, one that I'm personally tracking, is that as the U.S. central bank struggles to look tough, they'll overshoot the target and throw the U.S. economy into recession, which will then force them to reverse course and resume supportive measures that modern traders have come to expect. So it's as simple as good news is bad news, because it means the end of large-scale market manipulation by the U.S. central bank, which has kept the housing, equity, and commodities markets hitting new all-time highs for years. And conversely, bad news is good news, because it will mean the Fed will resume actively manipulating markets to the upside were they to overshoot in what would be described as a policy error. So, all of this means that an above 8% CPI print, the first since 1982, could see investors reassessing the pace of the Fed's tightening, injecting volatility into bonds and risk assets. However, a massive scaling back of rate hike bets would require consecutive weak inflation prints, and that's unlikely according to some experts. Quote, higher inflation has become increasingly broad-based since the start of 2021. The share of items in the consumption basket that have seen very large price rises has increased steadily, the Bank for International Settlements said in a note published on April 5th. Continuing, in particular, growth in services has accelerated. Because growth in service prices tends to be more persistent than in goods, inflation may be becoming more entrenched, end quote. And as an aside, I guess transitory is a word we're no longer using. Lastly, Bitcoin's rising correlation with equities means it could underperform traditional store of value assets in the coming months. During previous periods of stagflation, the yellow metal and oil outperformed the S&P 500, Wall Street's benchmark index, by significant margins. And some believe history could repeat itself, drawing investors away from equities, especially tech stocks, and towards energy. Analysts at J.P. Morgan foresee a 40% rally in commodities in the coming months. Today's crypto coverage comes courtesy of Coindesk's markets analysts, Parikshit Mishra and Ankar Godbole, with some additional editorializing by myself. Bitcoin is currently trading at $43,276, that's down three quarters of a point over the last 24 hours, while Ether is trading at $3,251, that's up 1.2% in the same time period, according to the Coindesk Price Index. 
In traditional markets, U.S. stock futures ticked up and government debt extended its sell-off as investors assessed the latest signals about Federal Reserve policy and the war in Ukraine. Futures for the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq 100 each added two-tenths of one percent, while overseas, the pan-continental stocks Europe 600 index rose by 1.2 percent, while in London, the FTSE 100 gained about one percent, and in Germany, the DAX also gained one percent. Taking a peek at how things are going in Russia, the ruble strengthened by six-tenths of a point against the dollar, trading at around 78 rubles to one buck. That means it's actually gained value against the dollar since Russian President Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine as the U.S. struggles to isolate the nation with sanctions, financial deplatforming, and other tools weaponized from the U.S.-led global financial system. The Russian central bank cut its key policy rate on Friday to 17% from 20% in a sign that efforts to stabilize the country's financial system are having an effect. Russian stocks declined by 2.5%. Continuing to the east, in Asia, most major benchmarks closed up. The Shanghai Composite Index added a half a point, while Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index rose by three-tenths of 1%. Japan's Nikkei 225 was somewhere in the middle, up just under half a point. Today's traditional markets coverage draws from the Wall Street Journal and CNN. Stay tuned. After the break, we'll be back with a few quick headlines we're tracking today with links to the full articles in the show notes for this episode as always. Then after the headlines, a look at a new documentary available on Netflix covering the mystery around the Quadriga CX scandal. We've got a perspective on what they get right and what they got wrong. We'll be right back. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Turning to big picture news, there are early signs of a cool down in some of the hottest corners of the U.S. housing market, Redfin said in a report on Friday. It's a fresh indication that sky-high house prices and rapidly rising mortgage rates are cutting into homebuyer demand. Among those early tells, according to the company, Google searches for homes for sale dropped by double digits in Baltimore, Boston, San Francisco, and Los Angeles in the second week of March from a year earlier. Tours of homes for sale in California were down 21% as of March 31st from the first week of 2022. Home prices nationwide have risen by a whopping 35% in the two years since the COVID-19 pandemic and the latest expansion to the Federal Reserve's extraordinary monetary policy experiment slam the nation, with the U.S. central bank slashing short-term interest rates to near zero yet again, the Zillow Home Value Index shows. The Fed last month began raising its policy rate to bring down decades-high inflation, and longer-term borrowing costs have climbed swiftly in anticipation of more aggressive rate hikes ahead. Reuters reports on that one. And in another story from Reuters, the macroeconomic picture is deteriorating fast and could push the U.S. economy into recession, as the U.S. central bank tightens its monetary policy to tame surging inflation. Bank of America strategist warned in a weekly research note, quote, inflation shock worsening, rate shock just beginning, recession shock coming, Bank of America's chief investment strategist wrote in a note to clients, adding that in this context, cash, volatility, commodities, and cryptocurrencies could outperform bonds and stocks. Turning to international news, European Union member states today agreed to ban the provision of high-valued crypto asset services to Russia as part of a fifth package of sanctions imposed in response to the Ukraine war. 
The measure will, quote, contribute to closing potential loopholes, end quote, in existing restrictions, the European Commission said, and were announced alongside bans on four Russian banks, coal imports, and offering advice on wealth-concealing trusts to oligarchs. Coindesk's Jack Schickler reports, and of course with the ruble trading at higher values today than after any of the previous four sanctions packages, this fifth one is sure to work. Meanwhile, Slovenia has unveiled plans for a flat tax on crypto transactions. The proposed tax, which is part of the government's post-COVID recovery plan, would be due when virtual currencies are sold or exchanged and would be set at an effective rate of just under 5%. The stated goal is to help debureaucratize and simplify the current system and improve Slovenia's competitive position as crypto markets take off, the government said. Coindesk's Jack Schickler also has that one. Turning to industry news, decentralized finance or DeFi firm Truflation is building a new gauge to track inflation independent from the government and in real time. Truflation currently measures a 13.3 inflation rate as opposed to the 7.9% measured by the Consumer Price Index in March. You can think of this as a competitor to the CPI and one where officials can't move the goalposts, something we've talked about on this show in the past. Quote, The framework that the government is using is 100 years old, and they have continuously tried to evolve that versus taking a fresh approach in a gauge where we've got everything computerized, Truflation's founder told Coindesk in an interview. Coindesk's Helene Braun reports. In other news, Strike CEO Jack Mallers unveiled a litany of high-powered partnerships for Bitcoin's Lightning Network at the Bitcoin 2022 conference in Miami on Thursday, including an integration with e-commerce giant Shopify. Quote, you're going to be able to walk into millions of American storefronts to plug into the payment stalwarts and pay across the Lightning Network, end quote. Mallers said Strike partnered with NCR, the world's largest point-of-sale supplier, and payments firm Blackhawk as well. Coindesk's Danny Nelson has the details. And sticking to news from Miami, Robinhood's chief product officer made the announcement on stage at the Bitcoin 2022 conference that the popular retail trading app had activated its crypto wallet for 2 million eligible customers, making digital asset transfers and payments broadly possible in the long firewalled investments app. Only a handful of wallet beta testers could move Bitcoin, Ether, Dogecoin, and a handful of other traded coins in and out of Robinhood's walled garden before, but now all waitlisted customers outside of regulatory no-go zones Nevada, New York, and Hawaii can do so. Additionally, she said that Robinhood will add support for Bitcoin transactions on the Lightning Network, the speedy, low-cost settlement layer for Bitcoin we just told you about. Still, Robinhood's multi-asset wallet falls short of true functionality. It's fully custodial and can't plug into Ethereum-based services like MetaMask does. It can't accept ERC-20 tokens, non-fungible tokens, or any asset not traded on the platform. Tokens generated by airdrops and forks won't work either, quote, any NFT sent to a Robinhood Ethereum address may be lost and unrecoverable, the FAQ page said. Staking also appears to be off-limits for now. Coindesk standing also reports on that from Miami. And just yesterday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen called crypto transformative in a wide-ranging speech. The U.S. official addressed central bank digital currencies, stablecoins, and regulations. Let's tune in briefly to hear one of the stewards of the U.S. financial system talk about the competition. Some have suggested that a central bank digital currency could be the next evolution in our currency. A recent report by the Federal Reserve, it, it opened a public dialogue about CBDCs and the potential benefits and risks that could be associated with issuing one in the U.S. The president's executive order calls for us to consider this question from several perspectives. For example, what impact 
would a U.S. CBDC have for implementing macro-stabilization policies, and what implications for private credit creation? Could it make the financial system more equitable, accessible, and inclusive? How could it be designed to manage risks associated with national security and financial crime, at the same time including privacy protections? How might a U.S. CBDC interact with existing national currencies, with foreign CBDCs, or with private stablecoins? We need to consider these important questions in the context of the central role that the dollar plays in the world economy. As citizens of this country, we derive significant economic and national security benefits from the unique role the dollar and U.S. financial institutions play in the global financial system. So the president's executive order asks us to consider whether and how the issuance of a public CBDC would support this role. I can't tell you yet the conclusions we will reach, but we must be clear that issuing a CBDC would likely present a major design and engineering challenge that would require years of development, not months. And finally, on Thursday, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or FDIC, issued a financial institution letter. That's a letter sent to CEOs of FDIC-insured banks requesting that banks should notify their regional FDIC director of their crypto activities. This request applies to both current and future crypto-related business and services. According to the letter, the FDIC will review the information, ask more questions as necessary, and then issue, quote, relevant supervisory feedback, end quote. Coindesk's Cheyenne Ligon reports. And in lighter news, here's Adrian Blust. Thank you, Adam. ESPN and Autograph, the non-fungible token company founded by Tom Brady, announced Wednesday a multi-year deal to mint the Sport Network's first NFT collection. Quote, as the first NFT partner for ESPN, the possibilities across sports and technology are endless, and we couldn't be more excited to get this content out to the world in a massive way, Autograph CEO Dylan Rosenblatt said. The NFT collection will feature three zine covers, featuring great moments from Brady's career. Brady will sign 50 tokens from the collection. Coindesk's Cameron Thompson reports. Today's featured story is an opinion piece by Toby Leah Boshan, Coindesk Managing Editor of Learn, and Lawrence Lewitton, Coindesk Managing Editor of Global Capital Markets. This piece is titled, What Netflix's Quadriga CX Documentary Gets Right and Wrong About One of Crypto's Worst Scandals. A new Netflix documentary explores the suspicious death of Gerald Jerry Cotton and the scandal that ultimately revealed how the Canadian cryptocurrency exchange he founded, Quadriga CX, had misappropriated customer funds and operated similarly to a Ponzi scheme. Quadriga CX is certainly one of the biggest scandals in crypto history. As many as 115,000 customers lost about $190 million worth of various cryptos they kept on the exchange. And the debacle was a black eye for an industry already associated in the public mind with ransomware and dark markets. For seasoned crypto users, the death or disappearance of the single executive who controlled the private keys to Quadriga's CX's wallets offered a stark reminder of the adage, not your keys, not your coins. But is trust no one the hunt for the crypto king worth watching? 
Two Coindesk editors watched the film and came away with different conclusions. Toby Boshan, managing editor, Learn. A large portion of the film focuses on the suspicious death side of the story, rather than on the more interesting story to me of how he was able to get away with the scheme for so long and how it was eventually figured out that it wasn't a case of lost passwords holding customer funds hostage, but rather that there were no funds left to give. The main theories around Cotton's death are, he faked his death as part of an exit scam with or without the knowledge of his wife, Jennifer Robertson, changed his appearance and is living the life somewhere in the Bahamas or wherever. Jennifer Robertson poisoned him and is some kind of black widow. Or he is actually dead. The Cotton Quadriga story is inherently interesting to me, which is why I wanted to dig in during my free time enough to write about it before the film came out. But the movie was not. I know that much of the discussion, sleuthing and rumors, circulated on Telegram and Reddit. But I felt like 25% of the screen time relied on watching online chats to move the narrative forward and support one of the conspiracy theories around his death. It felt lazy. The most interesting part of the film, to me, was the appearance of Jennifer Robertson's sister, Kimberly Smith, as this is the first time anyone from her family has spoken at length to the media since the scandal. The addition of a point of view from someone who had known Cotton only in a non-business family way added a layer that I didn't see in other coverage, as it was clear that Smith at least believed Cotton and Robertson's relationship and love were genuine. The downside of spending so much screen time on Robertson is that the film ends up giving equal narrative weight to the Black Widow theory of Cotton's death, which I find, frankly, preposterous. Despite the aspirations the movie casts, there are pretty straightforward reasons why Robertson has had three last names in her life. She was born with one, married into another, and changed it to the third after her divorce from her first husband. Her first husband is very much alive, and she hasn't seemingly benefited financially in any way from Cotton's death and had to be put in a safe house at one point because of threats from former Quadriga CX customers. Theory number one, that Cotton faked his death, is the dominant one. And the movie could have spent more time on the fake death industry that is a real thing in India. His history of Ponzi schemes with Michael Patron, a.k.a. Omar Denali, but the filmmakers did a decent job covering these wrinkles in the limited time they had. Some might say that I am not the right audience for this and I already know how the story turns out. After learning the outline of the story through reporting done on Coindesk, I listened to Aaron Lemmer's Exit Scam podcast series, and I found it utterly, completely fascinating. My verdict is, skip the movie and listen to Exit Scam instead. Lawrence Lewitton, Managing Editor, Global Capital Markets. If you've been closely following the Gerald Cotton Quadriga CX saga for the past couple of years, this film leaves a lot to be desired. But for the other 99.98% of people with Netflix subscriptions, it's a good 90 minutes of entertainment. Let's be real here, folks. Nobody besides the kind of people who read Coindesk religiously knows anything about Quadriga. They may know Bitcoin and a few other cryptocurrencies. They may have a Coinbase account. They may have seen influencers on YouTube peddling some sketchy alts, altcoins. They have heard that hackers use crypto and ransomware. Maybe an oligarch or something has some crypto in Russia. He got that way. That's what they know. What they don't know is just how damn sketchy, seemingly legitimate exchanges can be. This film works because it starts viewers off on a path that leads to dead ends and false positives, but also gives them a lot to ponder. Is Michael Patron dodgy? Ask the folks who put money in Wonderland or watch this documentary and see what kind of past he had. Is Jennifer Robertson Cotton's wife? Note, I didn't say widow. Someone who may know more than she's letting on? 
This film explains all the misgivings Quadriga CX account holders have. Did Cotton really die in India? Or did he abscond with the money? Or did he just lose everything and disappear rather than own up to his blunder? And how checkered a past did he really have? We who have been keeping an eye on this case since the previous decade have our theories about it. But try making a documentary about it. It's not interesting to show text messages and telegram chats for a couple hours straight, but the filmmakers managed to keep the story moving with their use of interviews and clips. There has to be something to engage non-crypto viewers. I think this film does a decent job of it. So maybe you don't watch it, you know it all. But have a normie friend watch it. A real civilian. It's better than Emily in Paris. Hey folks, just a quick note. You can join me at Coindesk's Consensus 2022, the festival for the decentralized world this June 9th through 12th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the largest and longest running event showcasing and celebrating all sides of the blockchain and crypto ecosystems, as well as Web3 and the metaverse. And it's designed for crypto newbies, investors, entrepreneurs, developers, and creators. If you want to save some money, you can use code MARKETSDAILY15, that's MARKETSDAILY15 with no spaces, to get 15% off your pass. To get your pass today, visit coindesk.com slash consensus 2022. Thanks for listening.